Alright everybody, welcome into Hacked History. We are back, back again. I don't know why I say that every time we start a podcast, but I do. Hey Jake, how's it going? We're back. We're back again. That's where we are. Because I'm back. Um, yeah, that's what I should have done though. But anyway, we're gonna we're gonna blaze right past that. Um, we got an interesting new concept coming at you. We got a concept album, so to speak, I guess, if we're trying to make music references. Um, but it's gonna be part of our extended universe, isn't that right, Jake? Yeah, that's right. The uh, the HHCU of fucking shit that we yeah, it's gonna be great. It's gonna be pretty amazing. (laughs) One Uh, of us will die, and then they'll come back with no explanation. And we're just going to show back up again. It's kind of like our episodes. They yeah. just they go away from <laughs> We're right back. Where the real life creeps Woo! in and fucking destroys our schedule like we had it set planned out. And then we're like, fuck it, let's do one. But anyway, we are going to be doing a nice summer series we're going to call the Summer of Music. That's right, the Summer of Music. Hey, come on down and uh, smoke some hash. We're in your homes, we're in your apartments, your cars, your airports, your airplanes, your submarines, your uh, train ride on it- the on the New York. A B train, the B train, and, to and Fucktown. I tell you what, once again, Jake starts on point and then slowly progresses to trying to sell you travel insurance. <laughs> starts on point, sells travel insurance. <laughs> I, you know, I told you, man, we're going after farmers. Hey, I'm going to fucking do it. But uh, making a stupid jazz joke, Jake, but why, not, why take the B train when you can take the A train? Because the B train's faster and the A train has less homeless people on it. So... <laughs> Did you get the fucking reference? Yes, I got the fucking okay, reference. Good. Oh, fucking hell. Anyway, um, we're, we're excited. We're excited for this. I want to emphasize we are actually excited for this. Um, but we're going to be doing a series. We're going to call it the Summer of Music. I'm going to be kicking back with some jazz musicians every other week. And Jake, what the hell are you doing on the other week? <laughs> Way to take all the fucking energy out of it. <laughs> what the fuck do you want to do? I don't know. You don't either. No, I'll be working the uh, the cooler angle. So while Lucas is talking about uh, sad people who died from heroin overdoses, I'll be talking about rock and roll stars. Hey, I'll have you know, not every one of them died from a heroin overdose. Some of them was a shotgun to the roof of the mouth. But regardless of that, um, I, the I will be doing a lot of really wild rock and roll stories. So like the we will probably do a series on uh, Woodstock going through the whole shindig of that mess if i if i tradition (laughs) if i deem it necessary and we get enough positive feedback i might do a second series on the thanks a lot pickup truck um on the uh god damn it on the uh, with the 1990s woodstock which was just a flaming disaster just you know the goal was for you to research rock and roll and drugs but not actually do the drugs you know that was the goal i gotta live the experience man (laughs) Well, yeah, we'll be talking a lot about, like, I might do a couple things, too, in the R&B angle. So, like, Barry Gordy, talking about that uh, fucking asshole. Mr. Barry Gordy? I'll probably talk about Keith Moon um, doing horse tranquilizers and then passing out on stage, (laughs) and we'll do a whole episode on that. We'll talk about what happens there. So, there's a lot to go from. There's a lot of crazy fucking stories that I can do. And without further ado, we're going to jump right into the summer of music, and we're going to jump right in with, I'll tell you what, this is a whale of an episode. It's going to probably be pretty long, because there's a lot to fucking talk about, and I left a lot out. But we are talking about the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Miles Davis today. Jake, what the fuck do you know about Miles Davis? I know fuck all about Miles Davis, except that he plays the trumpet. That you Trump- got, you, you, Trumpet? Trumpet. You, you were right first time. Don't try again. <laughs> I almost said trombone. <laughs> like, I, I would have came over there and slapped you. <laughs> also, Jake, if you if you read ahead, I will kick your ass. So eyes off. What the am screen. I reading? 
Don't you read my notes, man. I'm facing the wall. All right, good. You stay. <laughs> Away there. from you. Stay. Like a true stay. child in the corner. You fucking stay. Just get on with it. <laughs> All right, so um, I'm actually going to start this with a opening uh, sort of story to kind of just get us in the mood for what Miles Davis is like as a person. Uh, so opening story. So Miles Davis was actually int- uh, invited to attend an event at the Reagan White House. Um, it's an event to honor the... Mr. Roy Ch- Ray Charles. <laughs> Roy Charles. Oh, yeah. You're worried about me fucking uh, it up. <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Roy. Roy Charles is fucking. Hey, it's your brother, Roy. Roy, Roy Charles. Charles. <laughs> you know that new sound you were looking for? Well, listen to this. I can't see. She took my money. Anyway. This fucking Kanye um, West rolls in. <laughs> well, that was a Ray Charles song originally. I know. Yes. And Ray was also in that song when Kanye did it. He was. Anyway, um, but it's meant to honor <laughs> Ray Charles. Um, so, Miles is sat at a table with what he called, quote, a politician's wife. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck does Starting that mean? Starting out just fucking phenomenal what right here. What the fuck does that mean? And this is, okay, just to put some perspective on this, I mean, the man was born in 1926, and we're talking about him in the 80s at this point, so he's just, like, a fucking cheeky old man at this Wait, point. Wait, like, what would be his age by that point, though, for oh, real, like, God. quick mass, like, so 20s... Six. So what year? Yeah, so twenty six. So he's by, like sixty something. Okay, at this that's point. actually not that bad. No, nah, but he's already pissed. You can tell he's already pissed. <laughs> this is what blues and jazz is, though. You gotta be it's like certain level of pissed. I think Miles was pissed most of his life. Let's be real. I can tell. Um, <laughs> and she asked him why America has neglected jazz. You know, like this, like really, like kind-hearted question, but a like, really, really honest know, question. Why is like why do you think America's neglected jazz? And Miles says jazz is ignored because the white man. <laughs> likes to win everything. <laughs> is he wrong, though? I mean, he's not. <laughs> he's not wrong, considering the way jazz was sort of <laughs> oh, meant to imbol- it, like, embolize that. Yeah, and the woman says, what have you done that's so important in your life? And Miles Davis <laughs> says, well, I've changed music like five or six times. <laughs> <laughs> you snappy bastard. I fucking love it, man. It's Wait, beautiful. well, who's so... <laughs> Just imagine this is between him and like Nancy Reagan, and Nancy's got I'd the fucking it's like the same, it's like some senator's wife or something. Got, like, it's Strom Thurmond's wife. And what what do you people do outside of what you used to do? <laughs> and it's like well, I don't know, you... wife of Strom Thurmond. Why don't you be a little less racist to Miles <laughs> Davis over here at the fucking White House gala? Yeah, the Washington Post is back there. You want to go talk to them about it? <laughs> So, I mean, that was my opening story, just because I thought it was really fitting to kind of get it us into very the mindset like of Miles so Davis. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, so early life. Uh, so, Miles Davis is born on May 26th of 1926. Hey, one day after what might be, allegedly, my birthday. Allegedly, huh? Allegedly. <laughs> well, happy early birthday, Jake. <laughs> fuck you. You can send gifts to fuck off. No, you could, you could, <laughs> wait, it's got to be like a, like AFV. You can send send your what does it say? Call P.O. Box P.O. Box four zero zero Hollywood California, Burbank. No, we're in Burbank. No, he's in Burbank. No, because Burbank is the no 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 because Hollywood <laughs> is the fucking late night show segment, and you know this. And Burbank is the game shows. Burbank was like you know the Price is Right and shit like that. Come That's on, fair. get your facts straight. Well, what if we weren't good enough to be in the Hollywood one? How fucking dare you? Anyway, he's born in Alton, <laughs> Illinois. <laughs> Um, he's born Miles Dewey Davis the third. Dewey, Dewey, Dewey. Um, <laughs> something about that's just really <laughs> off-putting. I don't know what it is. Uh, you know, I don't know, man. Um, but he ends up growing it's like up. Jelly in, roll. He ends up, 
Jelly Roll did the whole fucking... If you haven't listened to the first Jazz episode, you can go listen to what Jelly Roll Morton was all about. <laughs> that was Fucking a, fat women, apparently. That was a hell of a time. No, he watched Fat Women fucking made music to it, remember? He was... Oh, yeah. He was improving to the, to was the it brothel. When, didn't you say he was, like, the guy who worked at the brothels, the piano guy? Yeah, he improved <laughs> to the fucking at the brothel and got for how well he did. That's what he did at night when he wasn't at his grandma's house. Sounds like a fucking. Sounds like the intro to a serial killer when he wasn't at his grandmother's house. So he was playing the just, piano to fat women fucking. He basically just died broke because he spent all his money to stupid shit. A lot, we don't know that he killed anybody. We would so, assume you know, that he died. It's good though. that he didn't kill anybody. He's definitely dead now. Um, anyway, back to Miles Davis. So Miles Davis before he up, could hurt anyone. Miles grew up in East St. Louis. <laughs> Um, uh, and, uh, and actually, and this is something I should have known more about historically, but didn't, uh, admittedly, apparently East St. Louis was the site for a lot of violent race riots oh, um, yeah. in, the, in the early 1900s. Oh, yeah, in the early 90s, because St. Louis was basically, like, sort of, still not quite a frontier town still. It was very yeah. much, though, a rough and tumble. It was kind of getting out of that phase more into, So we're like, talking East St. Louis, so I think yeah. we're still talking Illinois, technically, because it's in East St. Louis and Illinois, but it's, like, right across, like, the river from actual St. Louis and Missouri. I believe so, yes. Yeah. If I remember how that state line works, I think it's like that, yeah. Yeah, and then, uh, the worst riot of all the riots that happened in East St. Louis happened in 1917, so just about almost 10 years before Miles was born. Oh, and shout out, by the way, when people used to tell me back in the day, when I was a student in high school, that they would have loved to live in the early 1900s because it would have sounded like such a cool time. And I'm like, no, it fucking wouldn't have. I mean, there are aspects of that time that were very cool, but it was also supremely fucked up in a like, lot of Like, you wouldn't have wanted to be a black anybody, man, woman, whatever, in 1920s well, America. if we're just looking at American history in general, there really aren't many time periods in which it would have been a bad idea to be white, which is not good. It's just the honest truth, which is... Like what I'm saying is like if you're looking yeah, at yeah you're gonna have to emphasize that one I mean no let me let me let me expand okay what I'm saying is if you're a white man looking back at different time periods of history okay. and all you're thinking about is the white perspective you're not gonna find a lot of time periods in which you would be like wow I don't want to go to that time period and that's a very privileged way to look at it you know what I mean if you yeah, actually that's a real first world way of and, no and I'm not I'm not I don't no, want no, I'm anybody, not saying you are yeah I don't want anybody to look at history like that. You know, but that, like, that's because that shit's wrong. But that's the type of perspective you have the students looking from it. Some of it's honestly just because of ignorance, because they haven't, they don't know any better. And let's be honest, when you grow up in a community like Jake and I do, where most everybody is white, white you don't think about Polacks. that stuff nearly as much as you should until you, in, unless you want to, like what Catholics we, or Lutherans, and most of them don't ever talk about gay stuff. Yeah, it's not good. Yeah, um, not. I mean, it's okay if you're that kind of person, but still, yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, it's. I mean, we just went through a whole experience where a uh, town council didn't want to adopt a diversity resolution. So, yeah, because um, because it would. Uh, what did he say? I don't, I don't even. It was. Care. It was. A, it was a I'm dis- not gonna. I'm not gonna give him the light. No, no, of no, 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 no. I want to just emphasize how stupid the argument is because he said it, he it was a abrasion to the constitution. Okay. Okay. He, and, and then and then just to get you to give you a mindset as to how fucking stupid these people are, he spelled the word constitution wrong in the flyer that he sent out. So it was literally constitution. Constitution. See, yeah. He, he, these are not smart people. And I was thinking about this and really here's my opinion on it. When you Fuck have him. a president like the last one we did who's such a douchebag that Basically, he he's giving these people basically a license to be stupid. more openly fucked up and stupid 
than they have been in a long time because he spent four years literally validating all of that BS. So these people now feel like this is mainstream and they feel confident enough to come out there and say things like that Yeah, when they haven't in a long time. So... Um, you know, that's, that's where we're going to leave that, but we'll, yeah. we'll kind of keep moving on. But yeah. that was a good conversation we just had there. Yeah. Um, so personality. So Miles Davis, as you can probably guess, is a very supremely confident man. Uh, there's not many things that are not, that are going to make him feel concerned or worried. Um, it's all good, babe. <laughs> he, um, actually begins to, to become what you call almost like the archetype for a jazz museum. So er, museum. music, jazz musician. Yeah. Yes. Musician. Yeah. Um, he's cool, tough, and somehow, somehow kind of like romantic. So like, he's um, like, um, so if I were to put it into words, he's a little bit like, he's kind of almost like the fifties greaser image, but like in a different way. He'd be like fifties greaser. If like, man, my dad wants me to work on cars, but I really just want to go dance. Yeah, something like kind of like Footloose. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. He's like Kevin Bacon. Then is what he. Is. I mean, in a way, but like, it, yeah, the, the, that's a good allegory for persona sort of thing, where he's like, you know, he's out there like on stage with in like the dim light with his trumpet, wearing like all black, but then like in like their cigar smoke in there, but then he dedicates the song to this one lady that's been like his sweetheart. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. that type of vibe. While saying that the white man is killing black America. Yeah, I mean, he's like, he speaks yeah. truth to power, well, but he's also like, I would eat your box. <laughs> Ladies, I would eat your box. Anyway, <laughs> I believe that was the name of his first hit. No, I'm kidding. Shout out to you going full in on that joke, by the way. <laughs> Usually you don't do that shit. You're like, anyway, moving on. Um... Uh, civil, so, and it's funny you mentioned the, uh, down with the white man thing, because he was a, he, he was very active, like, in civil rights causes, you know, yeah. he was very outspoken about it, um, he came from the idea that black people kind of, you know, or, you know, I don't say black people to try to be, you know, I'm not trying to say that as just, a, just, African Americans, you know, should be self-reliant. I, I think that the African American viewers in the group are going to give you a pass that you said black and that's okay. Okay. Well, I, think I, I hope so. Right. I, I hope so. I think you're all right. Um, but his idea was that, and he was also I mean, very. I would hope so. I don't know uh, what's going on in the African American community. Give us an email. Just make sure if you're gonna yeah. kill him. Kill I'd at him. least like to know about it first. Yeah. You know, and... he'll he'll accept it willingly. <laughs> he'll bend over backwards and do it. Uh, you know. I'm not, anyway, I'm not. not. <laughs> no, no, I'm not gonna agree with the last part. But you know, anyway. Um, <laughs> I'm not gonna let you kill me on this fucking podcast. <laughs> But just um, like the MCU, you'll come back without. <laughs> anyway, anyway, uh, Miles Davis was also a very charismatic person, um, and kind of fed into his abilities as like a sort of civil rights person. The thing is that he was outspoken about civil rights, but like I don't really, I didn't find anything out there. I mean, he wasn't out there like marching with King or like no, I can. Or, yeah, you know, he 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 had strong opinions about it, but he was frankly he was just more concerned and too busy making fucking music i mean this man and i'm not i'm not saying that music was more important than civil rights but this man was so fucking prolific like no he's putting up music that was like i don't even know how he would have had time well no that that, that's a fair point because you know like i mean civil rights in of itself is a like volunteer-based like calling so when i teach you know about the civil rights movement, I basically say, like, these people weren't paid to do this. These people decided out of their own souls to go and do this, to take a beating, get back up, and do it again. Miles, in his case, I wouldn't say it makes it denigrates him any less that he didn't join it. I think in some ways, if it, I may hold this opinion, he could have and might have put those opinions into his music. 
Yeah. Because that really would fucking twist the white establishment's arm to have a black man who does jazz so well. That You know, that... Because if you think about the time period he came from, like, that would have been unacceptable. Well, and if By you, the time that he's coming through, too, you're fighting off that original, like, you know, birth of a nation racism yeah. shit that we're unfortunately having a resurgence of in this country because, god damn yeah. it. Um, I think his, uh, you know, that's uh, racism is not dead. Anybody who tells you racism is dead is, is lying. Or are really, um, really stupid. I'm sorry. But, yeah. But, like, I think what his, um, what his thing was is he was more about, like... The self-reliance thing really comes into play here. He was very, he was very into basically. I think his whole thing was, uh, you know, African Americans can be self-reliant, and I'm gonna show how great we are just by putting out of this world-changing music and kicking ass, because and it's sort like, of dealing with it that way instead of yeah. It's kind of like the Harlem Renaissance when you think about that. Yeah, like, in a greater it's, context, it's a lot in like in that sort of vein. And for anybody who's not quite sure what that is, the Harlem Renaissance is basically sort of like a big cultural movement that happened post World War One. I? I think so, right? Yeah. So the Harlem Renaissance we're talking about 30s and 40s, which is like a 20s, 30s, it, it almost 40s, perfectly yeah. aligns with like the the swing era's prominence. Pretty much, yeah. It's in, like the like the uprise of like proper. I would say proper jazz, but like jazz as we know it for the 20th century. And then the two, you've got like black actresses and actors, you've got black singers and songwriters, you've got black painters, artists, you know, authors, you got all that stuff. And but you know, see, the I guess in the the one weird paradox from that era, though, uh, I've been kind of the sullen reminder uh, that racism, no matter what, will kind of always still be there in some ways, I think, mm-hmm. is that you had Duke Ellington's band, you know, in their most popular days when they were most popular in just like. You know, music and everything like that, playing yeah. at the Cotton Club. Oh yeah, and that in the for Dixieland white jazz only, band. for white only audiences at uh, the Cotton Club. Yeah, so, and and the like I said, and the Dixieland jazz. Band. Well, the original Dixieland jazz. No, no, no. Band, the one that we know became to basically kind of keep uh, that particular segment of music white. You know? Well, but luckily they failed. They fucked. They they, fail. they they died real fast. Tur- um, turns out that white people only music isn't good. It well, fucking sucks. <laughs> Yeah, no, and it really, any kind of clothes on, it, that, that's the thing you realize, too, is, you know, diversity makes things better just overall. If you yeah. close yourself off, and this is just with anything in life, it's inevitably going to be worse than what somebody else can do when they don't close themselves off and they open themselves up to the ideas around them, and yeah. that's just a good life yeah. philosophy to have. Anyway... Anyway, um, we'll be we'll be coming to you, a theater near you, for life philosophies sometime yeah. this summer. This is life philosophies one hundred and one. Anyway, um, Miles was the son of a successful dental surgeon. Actually, oh um, nice. Yeah, he actually grew up very well to do. Um, his mother was a very successful violinist and and uh, keyboard player. So it sounds like music was for the most part in his family life. Quite yeah, a lot. and his yeah, it, it was definitely. Um, but just to kind of show the extravagance, like his mother often walk, walked around in mink coats and wore diamonds. That's pretty fucking bitching, though. Isn't that badass? Like, that is badass. That is that is as the young people call it, bussin'. Well, and if you think about like the kind of the some of the contradiction of like growing up in like a city where there've been multiple race riots and. All that other stuff going on, but then you have uh, his mother walking around in mink coats and diamonds, kind of being like, <laughs> "Suck on this one, um, suck on it." But it, it also kind of makes sense that Miles would take this sort of um, "we can be self reliant" approach because mm-hmm. he saw that firsthand when he was growing up. You know, his dad, you know, was a was a wealthy man, especially for the area, and he grew up in a situation in which he didn't really have to. You know, he wasn't 
See, it's I'm not saying he came out of privilege because he really didn't. Because he, I'm sure well, you know, he was obviously middle class. Yeah, he, he was very obviously like aware of the things going around him. Yeah, but he wasn't someone who had to deal with it on a daily basis all the time per mm-hmm. se. It seems like you know. I um, mean, I don't want to speak to that experience because you know, I, obviously, I'm not African American and I'm sure. not Miles Davis. You're a white suburban man. <laughs> looking at it from the outside. You can kind of extrapolate how he might have gained some of his views on self-reliance being one of the ways that he dealt with racism. Well, and you could say as a comparison, say, for instance, like Miles's version of seeing jazz and putting that particular mindset into it. The way I kind of see things like, I guess, B.B. King, even though he's blues, you know, the place that B.B. King grows up and lives in is sort of the deep south where, I mean, markedly, of course, you know, the situation he's deal is, with that a lot more than yeah, Miles. Yeah, he's got to deal with a more overt versus somewhat more like covert up in the north because yeah. racism exists in the north. We all know that, but we as northerners, and I'm not saying like me specifically, but I know a lot of northerners. We the northerners. We the northerners. We are the north. <laughs> but though, but a lot of people up in the north, I would say north of the Mason-Dixon line, tend to hold this idea like we're not racist because you know X, Y, and Z. Well, yeah, on its face. Maybe from 200 and something years ago, you weren't racist, but even then, you know, well, that's not true. <laughs> the, the, thing to th- the thing to realize is that um, none of that in history is cut and dry. And no, we could, we could make a not. We could make a whole podcast series about Northerners who are also awful racists. But that we, seems like an oddly niche series, but I'd be down to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we will sometime because um, it'd be probably a good eye opener. But yeah. um but the reality is that, you know, that racism is, you know, it's still there. It's still there in modern society, and it's something that... Um, no, it's just called Karen, so... <laughs> it's not just called Karen, but th- that's definitely a it piece It is of mostly it. called Karen, though. Um. Anyway, so we're going to... Not gonna to ha- denigrate the whole experience, but we now could say that it has a name. So we're going to hop back into Miles Davis. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> um, Hold on, hold on. So, <laughs> Miles started playing trumpet at age 13, um... Um, Andy, he was actually playing professionally by age 15. Fuck yeah. So this dude's a prodigy. He's like the um, Mozart right the of fucking... Uh, and, okay, so now before I kind of jump into this, I want to kind of explain how I've structured this. So what I've done, and uh, you could take quibbles with this if you want. You can send us emails if you don't like it, but this is <laughs> what I did. None of y'all have done that yet, so we should be doing something right. Uh, but this is what I did. So I kind of went era by era um, in jazz, and the reason I did this is because this man was so influential that he basically had an impact on every single change in jazz. So I went era by era so I can explain what it is um, that the era is about, and I can explain what Miles did, and uh, for a good deal of them. I also have some good anecdotes about Miles Davis that I found <laughs> because I just think everybody deserves to, <laughs> deserves to hear them. Um, so we're going to start in the swing era. Um, so this is kind of when Miles Davis is getting you started. It's the end of the swing era. So the swing era in jazz, I'm going to explain what swing is in a second, but the first thing to know is that it basically lasts from about 1930 to about 1945. So uh, we talked about this in, in the past jazz episode we did, but this is when jazz is the most popular it is ever going to be. Um, you know, and pop... Yeah. This is kind of where pop music comes to fruition, too, because because what people don't realize is pop stands for popular. So that's all that that means. It's whatever genre is the most popular at the time that is technically pop. So this is the pop of uh, the 1930s, mostly, is uh, this type of music. Um, (laughs) Sorry, I I was going to add something in there, and you just kept railroading right over I'm sorry. I I wanted to drive home my point, man. I was excited about it. I was going to say, if you think about, like, 
swing, it is the precursor to what would be considered doo-wop music after a certain point. Swing's a precursor to a lot of things. Yeah, but and, it is, it, but yes. if you think of it as like the most direct well, chronological connection. Well, and you yeah. go straight, if you follow the popular music trend, right, you can see the obvious connections between um, between swing and then doo-wop, and then doo-wop forms into rock and roll. And if you listen to a lot of early 50s rock you're going to get saxophone solos and shit that you could easily have just done like 20. Well, yeah, but you could you, not that one. No, <laughs> but you're going to get saxophone solos and stuff that you could easily just put back 20 years and you'd be playing a swing jazz band. Well, I mean, like you so, can think of as a good um, example of that. You think of like the fucking minute work song. Who can it be now? Like that's for kind to, of to a point. I, yeah. I was thinking, but it, I'm thinking like the more like, 50s rock where you've got like oh, songs yeah, like yeah, yeah. um peggy sue and shit like that oh yeah no no i get what that you have mean. like yeah, massive yeah. saxophone solos that really you could just isolate the saxophone solo take it and put it in a big band song in the 1930s it'd make sense yeah so i mean there's obvious connections that people don't always see but um anyway so swing jazz is mostly made up of large ensembles think of things like the song sing 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 by benny goodman yeah, that's a good one. very extravagant um as I said earlier, it's jazz's most popular era by far. Um, showmanship, a lot of times these b- big bands would wear uniforms. Uh, mostly, but uniforms meaning like colored suits and they'd all be wearing the same suit. Yeah, it would um, be basically a like fairly business casual. Either, no, I mean yeah. like tuxedos. You know, yeah, I mean not business casual, I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean like business like tuxedos. Yeah, like business like tuxedos. Like there's some bands that would all be wearing like purple dress coats and shit. Like, oh, that'd be fucking amazing. Yeah, and they played in Grand Halls. I, I love this era of jazz. Like, it's really fascinating. They played, like, at Grand Halls. Uh, it was all about being flashy. The women that were there... Often Short the, skirts, were showing Sparkling ankles. dresses and oh. stuff like that. Um, and, you know, if there was, like, a performer that, like, if the woman was singing that song, she'd usually match the band, but would be, like, in, like, a... In the purple coat scenario, she'd yeah. be, like, in a purple sparkly dress. Um, and these songs were usually meant for radio play. Um, and they're organized sections, so there'd be an easy to tell chorus of the song, and there'd be like some solos, but they'd be very structured. They'd all kind of play off of the melody of the song, so they wouldn't just be random shit. And not random, because if you're a jazz fan, I'm not trying to piss you off here. Solos are never random, but <laughs> like to the average listener, sometimes jazz solos sound random. You would not get that feeling here. Uh, I mean, they're catchy and easy to understand the songs, and like I said before, it's really important to know that they're danceable. That was the main concept here, is what they were doing in this area was, era was very danceable, because that's why they played them in Grand Halls. They'd have those huge concerts, and people would be out there dancing, like, till the night's gone, I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> Sounds so. like a man who's never been to a concert hall. <laughs> so that's, um, so that's... <laughs> I had don't to take, you, I, you don't get to walk over that statement. No, I had to take a drink of water, so I couldn't respond. <laughs> I was hoping you just moved on. <laughs> no, I was hoping you were going to fill time, but you didn't. Anyway. No, well, you know, I'm not going to be your fucking train monkey, okay? <laughs> so Miles Davis gets his start in uh, this dude, Billy Eccleston's, Eccleston's band. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 Either way you push it, he's probably Jewish. He might be. It I don't might know. Be. I mean, but usually Eccleston's so a fairly Jewish. Name it could be. Deal. Um. So anyway. Um. But this is 1944. So at this point, Miles Davis is only 18, right? Yeah. Um. And he actually gets his start because one of the trumpet players in the band becomes unexpectedly ill. So Miles is like, "I got this." He's got sepsis from something. Um. And he sits in with the band for two weeks. Um. And he actually meets two of the most influential people in his early life here. He meets Charlie Parker, um, who is another jazz great that we'll definitely be chronicling on this series. Um, he's a very tragic figure, but he also meets Dizzy Gillespie, who's uh, another jazz great that I'm also going to be covering. Constantly but... walking the straight line, though. 
Dizzy or Charlie? Dizzy. <laughs> Dizzy Gillespie was Fuck, old. never mind. <laughs> anyway. Um, not like his trumpet. If you ever look up Dizzy Gillespie's trumpet, it's a hell of an interesting uh, piece of uh, instrument right there. Trumpet. Trumpet. Sorry. God damn it. Mambo number five. It's not Mambo number five. He's the song of a generation. <laughs> not this one. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so Miles Davis ends up moving to New York, um, kind of at his parents' uh, behest. He attends Juilliard. He doesn't want to attend Juilliard. He doesn't, does not give a shit about classical music. Yeah. I mean, he does, but not enough to study it. Um, I, I will admit, though, that Miles' position, I could absolutely understand. <laughs> I love classical music to play it, but to listen to it, uh-uh. No, no. No, 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 no. Like, yeah. It'll just, it just gets dry after a while. It's like, oh, is this eight hours of fucking... Yeah, things that <laughs> yeah. sound like they're supposed to sound like that don't sound like it, great. So, um, you can imagine, right, that he, he's doing that during the day, but at night he's not he's not studying classical music at night, too. No, no. He's out in the streets playing jazz with uh, with his friends Charlie and Dizzy, and they're teaching him how to basically be on the streets of New York and kind of learn how to play the professional scene. Um, Ankles deep and fast women and shiny cars. You know, probably some of that. Oh, uh, <laughs> he made his recording debut in 1945 at age 19. <laughs> he uh, always good. He uh, plays with uh, blues singer Rubber Legs Williams. What the fuck? Uh, did you not? That's his fucking name is Rubber Legs Williams. <laughs> okay, I'd love to know the background of that fucking yeah, story. I didn't, what did he like in a wheelchair? I don't know. He's got polio. <laughs> we try to make him dance. Oh, well, it's called Rubber Legs. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Christ. Jesus. Um, all right. So, but now we're gonna kind of just. Um, I, I want to explain a couple of things about Charlie Parker. Um, here because um, and I'm not gonna get too far into it because, like I said, uh, there will be some more stuff coming up about Charlie Parker. I'll be talking about his brief and very, very like inspire not inspirational because, but his very, very brief but somehow very like, you know, it, it, influential life. That's yeah, what there I was you go. That's <laughs> influential. Yeah. Because he was extremely influential within jazz and basically within just music for years and years to come. Um, so we'll be talking about him. But um, So Charlie Parker was, <laughs> as uh, one of the articles I was reading from the Rolling Stone called it, the occasional roommate in music, <laughs> the occasional roommate of Miles Davidson, and as I kind of uh, paraphrased, the musical guide to the great beyond. <laughs> what the fuck? Uh, well, Do you play music for dead people? What? <laughs> nah, just basically, um, if you listen to any Charlie Parker, like, this man was, like, extraordinarily t- talented musically. I mean, he was doing things out there that no one was doing on the saxophones. That's why I kind of put it that way. But um, Charlie Parker was a heavy drug, a- drug addict, but actually did not introduce Miles to drugs. Um, we're going to talk about Stay Ma- smart. Don't start. Well, yeah, exactly. Say no to drugs, kids. Nancy so, Reagan would be proud. All right, so, <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, that's the, yes. Um, but I'm going to just kind of talk a little bit about Miles and drugs to kind of explain some of that because it's kind of an important part of his life to kind of realize um, kind of what he went through in some periods here. Um, and I'm going to kind of go out of the chronological order just for a second to explain a couple things. We're going to hop back into 1945. Um, so, Miles and Davis and drugs. So, he had a... Miles, so if you listen to anything Miles Davis has ever done, he's had, he, like, especially, like, anything past, like, the 40s or 50s, the man has an incredibly raspy voice. Like, you, you can barely hear what he's saying. He's, 
He leaned into the microphone going, hey, man, I was just talking about jazz cats. and <laughs> Jazz cats, huh? Yeah, but, like, he, um, it's hard to imitate, but if you, Daddy up, if you look up any Miles Davis interviews that uh, are still surviving, Jake and I actually just won, watched one before we began the recording, which is a real doozy. I recommend you look it up. It's basically Miles Davis teaching or, or and failing to teach teaching, Nicolas but Cage no, no, how to hold a trumpet. No, no, no. He's not failing to teach Nicolas Cage. He's teaching Nicolas Cage, and Nicolas Cage is failing to learn. Yeah, that's, that's more accurate. Because he's more willing to argue with fucking... <laughs> that's with well, him that's how the dude at the shop told me to hold it. The guy at the shop, where are the bees? He's just like so anyway, screaming like a crazy uh, I recommend it. But anyway, um, so he has a very raspy voice. Um, And you can also... There's another great interview with him where he's on the Arsenio Hall show, and he does a, uh, yeah, he does a performance, and he, he's, a, he's a really interesting character, that man. But um, anyway... Miles, Rolling, as Rolling Stone puts it, uh, Miles was basically too stubborn for drugs, for drug <laughs> dependence. What the fuck? Uh, well, that's an amazing way to put that down. Is he was too square to smoke weed? No, not square, but he was like too stubborn to like let it interfere with his music. Oh, okay, that actually makes more sense. Um, Self reliance, actually. Kinda. Yeah, so he was introduced to marijuana like really early by other musicians, but he didn't really usually smoke that. Uh, he was not a big fan of weed. Um, but heroin... He did not inhale. Heroin Miles became soon addicted to, but he actually quit it cold turkey in 1954. Cool. Like, he just went to his dad's farm for a weekend and just quit it cold turkey, which is insane. I love the, um, I love the drug treatment processes of, like, the fucking 50s and 60s. Like, what you do is, like, you just strap yourself into a fucking dinner chair and just sit there in your house just for six days. Wait it out. Fucking just hang yourself up in a tree... You know, kind of like take the ladder away and just relive your childhood. It's kind of like Jack Black from uh, Tropic Thunder, but like actually working, or like Ray <laughs> Charles in real life. Yeah. Um. So, but then there's cocaine. Um. Cocaine quote. It's a hell of a drug. Cocaine quote become became one of the most principal enthusiasms of his later life. <laughs> According to the Rolling Stone, article. I told you he did drugs. Yes, he did, but then he apparently also quit that along with How alcohol. How quit cocaine? He quit that along with alcohol in the late eighties. So, okay, that makes um, sense though. Yeah, so he he did stop doing drugs, but so the thing I guess the thing with Miles and drugs is to kind of just say this much: drugs did not really rule his life for any like specific long portion, but he definitely did. Ex- do drugs at times, and they weren't like involved and it was in his fucking life. Fucking awesome. I mean, no. I mean, eh. don't do it, but it made some awesome music. I mean, yeah, but I don't think, but I would make Learn the, from the experience, but don't do it. Right. I mean, I would make the argument, though, that a lot of these guys were good enough at music. No, that they yeah, would not that was meant needed. as a joke, and now you've really taken all the air out of well, it. Well, I'm just being honest with you. Like, I think a lot, and well, the reason, Jake, that I'm making a big deal out of this is because, and we'll talk about this more when we get to Charlie Parker. Because Charlie Parker was such a fucking drug addict, and we'll talk about it how insane it was. his ability to do music. No, not even just that. No, it. people used to think that they had to do heroin to be good at jazz because Charlie Parker was so good at jazz, but he was oh, a so massive they drug addict. put two and two together it be- and yeah, said, like, it- if you do heroin... I'll be good at music. It became, well, kind of, yeah. It'd be like, well, I'm playing jazz. Well, I can't be playing jazz if I'm not going to do the drugs to play jazz. Well, it, it, it sounds out of place, but it, it based, that's how good of a musician he, Charlie Parker was that people were like, I need to do everything that man's doing, even if it's going to ruin my body. Yeah. So, and, and that became like an epidemic in jazz. That's why I'm making a point of saying these people were good enough at music and, <laughs> and 
parents aren't awful at life, but they were good enough well, at I mean, music. You know, where they, life beats you down a bit, you know. They were good enough at music. They could have definitely done this well, without the trucks. And, and something to point out to this, so to kind of draw it back a little bit to where my focus on music is, even if it's not something that I play, obviously, but it's something that I'm deeply fascinated by, is the fact of, like, you think of, like, the 60s, of, like, the sort of engrossed drug culture around, I guess you could call it rock and roll, if you want it. There are certain subsets of it. But, like, thinking of, like, the mid-60s to semi-late 60s and some early 70s bands, you know, like Cream or Jefferson Starship, um, Mama Cats and shit like that, was kind of the same idea. For It's not just a jazz thing. It's, in general, it's a music thing. Because a lot of people will see, like, wow, these guys, what was your secret to this really psychedelic shit that you were doing? Well, we took LSD. Or you took, you know, whatever. Yeah. And then they take it. But the problem is, yeah, so-and-so might have maybe a better time until you're, you doing it and then ending up blacking out, waking up in a fucking hotel bathroom, covered in peanut butter, crying. And you don't know how you got there, but you got there and now you're going to have to retrace your steps as to so, what the fuck yeah, happened. The, the, yeah, I mean, it's a it's a larger epidemic just in music. But you could argue it started with a lot of these jazz players. I know, it did. Because but... jazz, jazz was like, what was a progressive music style? Yeah, you know, if number one, you are breaking the race barrier of what a group of people can do. Plus, in certain cases, jazz allowed women to be popular. No, oh, yeah, I mean, like, yeah. a, so it is some of the most famous movement. jazz artists. Which again, I'm going to talk about a couple of these women too. Uh, are Ella Fitzgerald and Billie Holiday. Yeah, um, and they were, you know, Billie Holiday lived a really tragic life, but they both, um, they both got really famous and really great followings from men yeah. and women. You know, so, um, but anyway, 1945. Uh, inevitably, Miles drops out of Juilliard. Didn't see yeah. that one coming. <laughs> no, what? Um, Hated being there. Yeah, he did. He joins Charlie Parker's band. Uh, and then in 1947, actually, uh, Miles gets to lead his first band. Uh, and Charlie Parker's actually becoming, he's a sidekick in Miles' band. Jesus. So That's tab- a fucking drop. The tables man. have turned. I don't even think the tables turned. I just think his end of the table fell off. I mean, but no mistake here. It's not that Charlie Parker got worse at playing music. It's that Miles Davis was so incredibly amazing that he Over, surpassed kind of, Charlie Parker. Yeah, he kind of eclipsed. Because at no point yeah. in Charlie Parker's life, despite how awful he was as like a person, did he ever lose the ability to be a great musician, which is interesting. But anyway, um, so the, the two main uh, pieces of this time... Uh, that Miles put out uh, one one of them. And you're gonna notice this as we go through here. For whatever reason, I don't know if this is Miles' choice or some his fucking record label. All, a lot of the fucking names are puns. Like <laughs> the uh, first album Sorry he about puts that. out. I, I didn't mean to yawn over that. But the that first album he puts out is called days. Milestones. <laughs> I fucking hate this already. Uh, and the other album, well, this isn't a name pun, but it's called Half Nelson. <laughs> um, but. <laughs> <laughs> musically speaking the importance about these songs um are that they're harmonically challenging so meaning that like harmony when you're singing is sort of like the basically if you listen to like a pop song now it's the people in the background that are making like the your third verse rappers tend to be kind of that well the, or, the, or even like the beat is more of the harmony well the, the harmony is more like Traditionally, it's the people in the background kind of giving the sound more body, so it's not just the lead singer saying, 
you know, one tone. It's it's making the chords. Uh, there's, I guess, there's really no other way to explain that music. Uh, music yeah, because it. I mean, I, I do seem somewhat ignorant to that. It's the difference between one person singing and, and on multiple. stage and listening to a choir. Yeah, that's what I say. That would probably be the best way to explain it. It's like a. Like, an individual singing is not a harmony, but harmony is, like, yeah, it's multiple people yeah. over different, I would say, voice ranges, if you're thinking yeah. choir. That kind of creates a harmony. Well, and really, a chorus or a band, there's really not much difference between the yeah. two, if you really think, if you get done a well, brass Well, I just used chorus here, but... as the example. Well, yeah, no, I was on. just, I, yeah, I know, I got you. Um, Check your fucking But some of, some of the songs off these two albums, uh, they rivaled Charlie Parker's songs and just how, like, virtuistic they were, so... You know, Miles is already taken off here. Um, he's not going to stop anytime soon, I'll tell you that much. There's um, no brakes on this train. But but they become, some of those songs that off those two albums uh, become modern jazz staples that you hear, like, jazz bands play today. So he's already having success. Uh, so the next era of jazz we're going to move into is called the Bop Era. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's the, the name. The Big Bop is speaking. Yeah, it's... <laughs> thanks, Jake. It has nothing to do with this, but thanks for bringing it. I don't care. <laughs> I don't uh, care. I'll, I'll forecorn it in whether it's appropriate or not. So, uh, so this is the era of jazz between 1945 and 1950, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. That's about the time period here. So it's the first thing to come after swing, essentially. Uh, and you're going to notice that in a lot of ways it's kind of a rebuttal to some of the things that made swing popular. Um, you're going to have much smaller ensembles. And I say ensembles because we're talking about three, four, or five people here most of the time. So we're, we're talking pretty small groups here. Uh, it's got complex rhythm and structure, so it's... It's not really danceable as much. Like, you can do dances to it, but it's not really the point. It's more, it's kind of a rebuttal in a way where, like, you have all that structure with, like, the chorus and the solos and things like that. But here's the turn towards a lot more improvisation where uh, musicians have a lot more. It's, like, kind of like the artist's turn in jazz, like, whereas, like, swing is very commercial. The bop era is very, like, artist driven, very, like, musician friendly sort of thing where other people still like bop for sure um but it was more of the musicians saying hey let's try some of this stuff let's be experimental um it's a lot faster and more intense than swing um you're gonna have alternating chords or altering chords so some more fun uh different ways to create harmonies and like sounds um and then it becomes drumming becomes a little bit more improvisational you can hear drummers do some drum solos um, and like I said before, it's not really danceable music, so it's becoming a lot more artistic in this era. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, what Miles did. So Miles is honing on his skills even more. Um, he starts playing with like an all-new set of, of, uh, of background players at this point. I believe Charlie Parker is actually dead um, at this point. point. yeah. What, what, sorry, just to, to make sure, what year <clears throat> is this by now? We've kind uh, of so we are through. talking in nineteen well nineteen forty five to nineteen fifty. No, no, I mean specifically by this point, we think it's like towards the like forty seven, forty eight, somewhere range. in there. Yeah. Okay. Um, because you didn't really emphasize that. So. Well, yeah. So I mean, like, it's not crucial, so to speak. Well, it, it helps us to keep kind of a placement on it. That's why. Yeah. Well, I, move on. Yeah. So this is like the late nineteen forties, um, because this is after you did all that other shit with um Charlie Parker and those guys. Those jazz cats. Anyway, um, <laughs> so this is when um, he starts kind of working with some new jazz names. So Dizzy Gillespie, uh, Thelonious Monk, uh, and I guess, nope, I, I was wrong. Charlie Parker is still alive here. Uh, he has a really short life, so it's hard to remember when he uh, when he succumbs to his alcoholism and drug use. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but yeah, during this era, he's starting to play with Dizzy Gillespie and, like I said, Thelonious Monk, which is a hell of a name. Uh, we're going to be talking about him as well in the series because he's also a very interesting character, but a really amazing piano player. Um, but Miles starts innovating at a, as a band leader, so again, he's going to start following some of these new trends from the bop era, so instead of um, having a lot more of that structure and that band leadership sort of things, but and he already started experimenting on some of this stuff with Milestones and uh, and Half Nelson, which is the thing you're going to see on and on is kind of Miles, if not foreshadowing the next trend in jazz, like basically creating it. Okay. Um, he's like extremely, yeah, that's why he's so influential because he kind of creates a lot of these changes. Um, but we're going to do a Miles anecdote. Oh, actually, hang on. Oh, no. We're going to do a Miles anecdote here. Um, so why did, why did Miles Davis lose his voice? <laughs> um, this is uh, an anecdote that I got off of Quora. <laughs> um, because I'll the be. The best fucking Because I'll be completely honest with you. These, this shit was hard to dig up and I did not have time to read a 20, ch- 20 chapter, 400 page book this week. Um, so fucking this is, reading the Bible? What the hell? Well, that's the autobiography I have of Miles Davis. But anyway, this is, um, an Adam Begun Quora post. But anyway, mm. uh. According to his autobiography, Miles underwent throat surgery somewhere around 1947 to 1948. I am reading in other answers that he had polyps or whatever, but his book says it was a um, tonsillectomy. Anyway, he was told by his doctor not to make mu- not to talk much for a week or so. At the time, Miles was playing with Charlie Parker, but was also s- starting to break away and form his own group. Parker didn't like this. Parker was notorious for being mischievous, and, Mi- and Davis was notorious for being a hothead. And the inevitable collision took place. According to Miles' book, Parker, knowing all about the surgery and post-op instructions, asked Davis in the hospital, visited Davis in the hospital, and deliberately pissed Miles off just to see if Miles would react. Davis reacted by shouting at Parker, "You know the rest." <laughs> Jesus, way to fucking end that. By the way, I don't know the rest, but okay. Well, that mean you know the rest. I, like, yeah. His voice is raspy as hell. That's what the rest of it is, and it's always mm. been that way since then. So, anyway, cool jazz. That's the next era of jazz. Cool jazz. So, all right, thanks, Jake. Thanks for the energy. I'm really loving your input right it's here. It's hot but... as fuck in this room right now, and you haven't allowed me to talk. So, so cool jazz. <laughs> Cool Jazz starts in 1950 and goes till about 1955. Um, so this one's a little bit harder to distinguish between bop. Um, and I'm going to do my best to kind of keep emphasizing what's different about these because I'll be honest with you, I love jazz, but some of the differences here are a little difficult. But it's important to understand the differences to kind of understand how important Miles Davis was. Um, and it's kind of a good precursor for some of the other terms I might be talking about in later episodes. Um, but Cool Jazz, it's... So it's a lot calmer. There's a lot more unhurried improvisation, whereas be you know bop might be going, where like beep, or, you know cool jazz might be going. Okay, so it's, it's slower, tempo. it's less staccato-y sort of. Yeah, um, it's yeah. So and it's lighter and less harsh, you know, um, tone from your brass instruments. So instead of you know hearing uh, you know, beep, you might hear beep, you know, like <laughs> that's my best impersonation. But yeah. Beep. Uh, Sorry, that's a, uh, fuck. softer dynamics um it's less intense drum improvisation sounds like that so it, basically it's just kind of like a, hey man we were like really enjoying like the fast-paced improvisation but what if we just slowed it down a little bit <laughs> sort Maybe, of thing. i mean yeah um you're gonna start to see some new instruments that weren't included before kind of becoming 
you know, uh, coming onto the scene, you got flutes sometimes, you got cellos, okay. uh, French horns. Um, and this is sort of, this is due, to, and I'll talk about it in a moment why we start seeing that, but it's more of an emphasis on compositional importance. Uh, yeah, compositional importance. So it's more of like, what, how is this, who wrote this like tune? So like, instead of like Bop being like, oh, we're all about improvisation. This is like, hey, like, let's maybe focus a little bit on while we're writing this song or like, and the way that I'll kind of, I'll kind of describe this is like speaking just from, you know, in a jazz band perspective, a lot of these songs would be like, they'd have like a really short hook. So we're talking like 18 written measures and okay. then you just have a bunch of chord changes after that where it's like, okay, well now it's soloing time. So here's a bunch of chords and there's the hook, you know, figure it out. So um, that's kind of what we're talking about here in a way. Um, like if you were to see like the the uh, head tune for one of these, it would be like short, but then you have a lot of room to like solo and stuff like that. So, um, but this is the first album, or the most influential album here from Miles. It's called Birth of the Cool. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, and this really is like the defining album from Cool Jazz. Dude. This is like the real first one. Um, and this has a lot of influences from European classical music. And, he, and Miles is kind of incorporating some of that into jazz. So he's kind of taking some of what he learned at Juilliard, but he also did visit France and a bunch of and a few other countries. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and that's where you start to see stuff like flutes and like uh, French horns and like cellos coming into jazz because you know, the people are starting to be like, hey, maybe we can incorporate some of this stuff. Well, I mean, and a lot of the jazz singers, even larger big band groups, especially in the 40s and the 30s, ended up heading to Europe because they were more accepted there. Yeah. Maybe not in Germany, but in the rest <laughs> of the fucking like world, yeah, yeah, yeah. In a lot of cases, um, um, race relations were like advanced in European, more advanced in European countries than they were yeah. in the U.S. at this point. Um, so you start to see a lot of stuff like that. Um, and I have a quote from NPR about this album, um, just because they know more than I do about it. Honestly, um, if you hear departure from the language of bebop, Jones says, on the swing deception in particular. You hear it smoothed out. You hear the smooth sounds of the instrumentation. So again, he's kind of talking about like the non, uh, like slower tempo, um, more room for improvisation, and uh, just a lot more room to sort of kind of make things happen, but not feel like it's being rushed in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have another anecdote. Again from Cora. <laughs> uh, this one's from Joe Mixon. I feel like I'm like Casey. Why the Kasem. fuck does it sound like you're reading to me fan letters right now? <laughs> I was. Uh, I feel like fucking Casey Kasem, like <clears throat> and Joe from Cincinnati. Jesus. <laughs> all right. So without further ado, let's go to the anecdote here. Um. All right. So Miles' anecdote. Oh yeah, I read. <laughs> if he did, then it was his business. Oh, so the question here, and I f- apparently did not copy it. Because I'm great at my job. You are great. Was d- did Miles it. Davis have HIV? Um, yes. So, <laughs> as it's put on Corey here, if he did, then it was his business and that of his family, which is true. But then he goes on to speculate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it's none of my business. But let's start talking theories. Right. It's like the classic like politician that well, it's not our place. But anyway, if I did have an opinion, this is <laughs> this is where I would stick it. Um, Miles Davis apparently had numerous illnesses in his lifetime, including sickle cell anemia, uh, diabetes, respiratory problems related to his smoking, and drug abuse. 
He ruptured his vocal cords in 1956 after yelling too soon following an operation to remove polyps in his throat. So this is another story about how he lost his I thought his you voice. said he didn't do drug abuse. Well, and, okay, so <laughs> here's the thing. Well, I told you he did abuse drugs. Ed. No, no, I'm saying, though, but um, you, they, okay, whatever. I suppose in that regard, I'm, I'm holding the dependency would not stop him part that we pointed out, but uh, it's whatever. It's um, a quora post of a guy who doesn't yeah, know what the fuck he's and he was about. Yeah, and he was in a serious car accident in 1972 that broke both of his legs in multiple places. Um, and it says how he died is as important as the fact that the man survived as long as he did, given his numerous medical issues and reckless lifestyle. Um, so I added this here just to point out that, you know, beyond the music, like, I'm not saying this man didn't have any problems or never faced any adversity, because he certainly did. Um, but I just didn't have time to add it all in, you know, because... I'll be honest with you, this is a lot already, and there's just so much about him. There is a lot, yeah. Um, so that was just kind of my way of getting some of that in there to kind of, you know, give everybody a little bit more detail yeah, on, yeah. on sort of what else is going on with Miles behind the music. Yeah, behind <laughs> the music. This VH1's behind the music. Behind the music. Um, okay, moving on to another jazz style, okay? okay. Uh, so we've had Swing, we went to Bop, we've had Cool Jazz. Cool. And now we're going to hard bop. Just like Cool Ranch. Now this is the nacho cheese of yeah. fucking jazz. This is the nacho cheese of bop. We're going to hard bop. Hard bop. <laughs> that sounds like a really stupid euphemism for drugs. Uh, we're in a hard bop now. Um, so it is an emotional emphasis sort of thing. Um, it's very raw and hard driving style. <laughs> raw uncircumcised um so th- one of the things that re- <laughs> all of those words so some of the things that really differentiate this from cool jazz it's it, it becomes a heavy use of blues and gospel influences that start yeah. appearing here um you even get some funk feels some early funk oh yeah i get some vibe funk. um and the danceability kind of comes back a little bit you know you start to there starts to be some dances you can do to these tunes um and they are at slower tempos than bop but faster than cool so it's kind of like the medium like yeah. Queso. <laughs> it's queso. The medium queso. I was doing the reference. medium queso. I'm uh, like, when is queso medium? It's always fucking uh, fuego for me. And there were four really interesting album titles here that were like very, that were like the most important here. And this is kind of how, and again, like when I go over these albums, like I'm not just going over them because he did these albums. I'm going over them because they were all extremely influential. In a lot of cases, they started the movement towards, or like defined it for a lot of people. Um, which I know it sounds like I'm just preaching jazz name titles, but I'm trying to keep it interesting here. You are and you um, aren't. <laughs> but it's okay. We're on for the ride. Here we go. Anyway, so Jake, you're going to love these titles. So we got Relaxing with the Miles Davis Quintet. I'm going to punch Miles Davis. <laughs> <laughs> Found sucking, it fucking sounds like Yacht Rock have, and I don't like it. We have Working with the Miles Davis Quintet. I'm going to punch him. We have cooking with the Miles Davis Quintet. I'm going to dig him up and I'm going to punch him. And finally, we have steaming with the Miles Davis Quintet. I'm going to punch his grandchildren. Well, here's the miraculous thing about these albums, though. And this is just something I, w- I want you to think about for a second. Okay. All four of those albums, Jake, you want to guess at how long it took him to record that? I'd say somewhere between like... It, it, okay. I would say in a, a day to a week... Maybe. Well, close to me, I thought you were. It's two recording sessions. They did four complete albums in two recording sessions really? in 1956. This is a testament to how easy it is to do that. Song. No. That's, that's a, a joke. That's a joke. <laughs> Before you say, fucking snap off on me. I here. was like, no, absolutely not. That's a testament to how amazing those musicians were to do four fucking full albums in two like, recording sessions. Take off your glasses and get ready for a fight over here. Yeah, I'm taping up my hands. <laughs> getting ready for the boxing match. Anyway. Uh, and as NPR put it, uh, many people argue that these are the first hard bop recordings ever done, Jones says. 
when you hear in a relaxed style, you hear the rhythm section very relaxed. You don't hear that up feel that you get with bebop, and you also hear the American popular songbook expressed magically by Miles. So, spoken in true NPR fashion, there magically was used in the sentence. Magically, magically delicious. Shut up. <laughs> anyway, move on. Um. So yeah, I mean, those albums were pretty, really, really influential. Not just pretty influential. Um. This is arguably the next, this next style and the albums Miles put out is arguably the most, um, the most prominent ones. Um. I actually own the next album we'll talk about by Miles because you know I have a problem with jazz. Anyway, you fucking do. It's a real problem. I this think, is your intervention. I think like, we're here to help you. <laughs> about like what fifty minutes in now, and we're still like probably got like a third yet to go. I think we're starting to figure out that I have a problem with jazz, but that's okay. But co- progressive bit. Okay. <laughs> All of a sudden, the shoe's on the other foot for when I have to do fucking research. Isn't it? Well, um, you're sitting there bitching like, oh my god, we're finally getting to something happening. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so the, the next uh, jazz change we got is called modal jazz. Hmm. Uh, so the, this is popular, and this one's interesting because it's um, sort of popular in the 50s and 60s, but the 60s is mostly where it gets going, but it kind of starts in like the late 50s. So after Miles is done steaming and cooking and, and relaxing and working uh, whenever the fuck quin- is happening, yeah. with his quintet, we got he's going to start doing some stuff with modal jazz. So just to kind of explain what modal jazz is, and again, I want to just emphasize it's not extremely important that you remember all these different types of jazz. The reason I'm or, going, or you don't need to remember any of it. It's a podcast. Right. I can test it. But on, so. you don't. But I'm just saying, like, to understand what's going on, the reason I keep putting up all these different types of jazz is just to emphasize how much of a fucking impact Miles Davis had on jazz, which is just insane, really. Yeah. Um, none of the other instruments, none of really, honestly, none of the other artists we're going to cover are going to have this much of an impact, really. I think he might have been the most impactful jazz person. But anyway. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Are you done fangirling girling there for a second? I mean, he was also kind of an awful person, but we'll get to that. Um, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> he was an extremely important musician, but he was kind of an awful person. Um, so what is modal jazz? Uh, modal jazz is mostly based off of scales and, and uh, chords dictating the content of the piece. So um, it's very, like, structured in a way, but also in a way that, that's uh, very able f- to be improv it's it's interesting in a way that basically it's like okay so a lot of those other like it's melody driven essentially so if you have like a tune like for instance the song so what from the album kind of blue that we're going to talk about okay like i swear to god like the melody that's literally just mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he bumped the table with the, the mic was it, on. it's just like so what so what? No. <laughs> yeah, that's that's it. But then when you get to like the the chords, like when you when you start hearing the soloing happening, the easiest way to kind of explain what what they what what that means is kind of just by you'll be able to hear it like that. So what? Like you'll hear those notes again. You don't just go into a solo and then you hear a bunch of like other notes and chords and stuff that make sense musically, but you don't hear the melody. Mm-hmm. You can hear the melody in the solos. That's sort of what modal jazz means. Um, and actually, you hear some Indian and Spanish influences. Um, Miles puts out an album called Sketches of Spain that's influenced by this okay. sort of thing, too. Um, but it's less demanding musically because like the chords and stuff like that are not as hard because he's basically just soloing off the melody. So it's easier to kind of pull off instead of like bebop where you're doing like a bunch of shit just extremely fast and you're trying yeah. to make it work out. Um and there's no chord progression. There's not, like, a ton of chord progression changes. It's, like, two of them. So, again, it's easier to do instrumentally. But that does not mean it's, it's any less complex if you're good at doing it. Uh, it just means that it's less of a learning curve for some people. 
so Kind of Blue is the album that I mentioned that uh, this album is extremely co- consequential. Um, and I'm actually going to kind of start on this one with an, a quote I got from uh, drummer Jimmy Cobb, who worked with Miles on a couple of occasions. Um, so he says, Miles often surprised everybody. He craved change and never thought twice about how it would affect anything or anybody but the music. Jesus. I think he enjoyed learning. <laughs> I think I, I think he enjoyed hearing the consequences. So basically, he's saying, yeah, Miles was like he didn't really give a shit. He was an innovator, but also why like, does that make him sound like a less terrifying version of the Joker from Dark Knight Rises? It's well, just like saying some men want to watch the world burn, so they don't care, like. If they do it, they just want to see the consequences of their actions. Honestly, it's very a, odd to me. A better comparison to him would be literally would be the band director from Whiplash. Miles Davis was an ex- kind of. I think he may have taken some amount of oh, inspiration. Oh, one percent. They took inspiration from Miles Davis when they made that movie. I guarantee it. But um, basically, yeah, he was very demanding of his bandmates, and he wanted things perfect. And if he had ideas and he wanted them to change, he was gonna drive for that change regardless of how it made him feel. Like. We were talking about those quintets earlier, with uh, with Charlie Parker and those other people. Like the he switches band lineups quite frequently. Basically, what he does is like, okay, well the music's changing. Okay, well can I get the best new young musicians to come in and, and be in my band? Yeah. He just said basically, I feud everybody else and changed, and it worked really well musically, and it made him one of the most famous jazz musicians to ever live. But it also was really not loyal at all. <laughs> no, it like, kind of makes him look like an asshole, actually. Yeah, it kind of does. Um, but, okay, so in Kind of Blue is the best-selling jazz album ever. Um, it's one of the most influential albums of all time. It has inspired the likes of Pink Floyd. Uh, couldn't... I, you I just can't. Like, you said Pink Floyd, and I know you told me not to look at your notes. I looked back for a second, and you spelled Floyd wrong. <laughs> That and was as a, a rock and roll person, I Listen, fucking want to That you. was a typo. I was writing all this, and fuck you. Anyway, uh, Quincy Jones said, so what was his orange juice? Like, he'd literally get up and play it every <laughs> what morning. What the fuck? <laughs> uh, and, oh, my God. Uh, and, uh, Jesus. And countless others. But, yeah, Pink Floyd and Quincy Jones, and there was definitely others that were inspired by this album and just really Miles in general, but... And like I talked about briefly here, there's Sketches of Spain, which is um, another album of, of modal jazz, where obviously he's starting to incorporate some of the sounds of uh, some Spanish music. Um, it's a collaboration with a man named Gil Evans, who he would co- he would uh, collaborate with a couple times actually, um, and they made uh, they made some good music together. So um, I have another anecdote to kind of keep it going here, so to make sure this doesn't get too boring and ranty. Hopefully it's not. Uh, it's another Cora one. <laughs> This guy's name is Alex Johnson. Thank you, Alex. Is the next one going to be from InfoWars? Or- <laughs> this is Alex Jones. <laughs> fucking turn the gay frogs butters. Nah, oh, fuck that psychopath. guy. Fuck that guy. Um, I think he's fucked himself. Okay, so this is pretty great. This is a quote about Miles talking to Bill Evans. This might be my favorite anecdote that I have. He took Evans aside in an early rehearsal and he told him, Bill, you know what you have to do, don't you? to be in this band you gotta kill a man evans replied no miles what do i have to do miles told him bill you know we all brothers and and shit and everybody in this thing together and so what i came up with (laughs) sorry that was the least convincing thing i've ever heard you say we all brothers and shit in this thing together. Well, the, the, the way I said it, the reason I said it that way is because I could definitely see Miles said it that way. And the other thing you realize, too, is, is Bill, Alvin, Bill Evans is white, too. And he's oh, in it, Jesus. And he's in it, uh, everybody else in the band is African-American. Oh, that's not 
great for Bill. No, Not, no, Miles. Uh, the 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 thing here, and I want to continue the story, but the thing to realize too is that Miles was actually very protective of him because okay, he was really good. God. He was a really good musician. I, I hate to say because so, I know in certain circles, I hate to say it is especially in in certain areas of music. I know when when somebody it could be. I, and I hate to say this because it's going to sound like I'm like what ifing or, or what aboutism, but it's I'm not intending it that way. Is that racism works both ways? You know, obviously in in white circles, the racism towards African Americans happens when you have a white person who wants to get into that. It, it with good intentions, mind you, it tends to be met with some some suspicion. Yeah. So just just bear on that. I'm going to restart the story though because I want it to be okay. Go 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 go. <laughs> I know. I get it. You know, this is your moment to shine. He took Evans aside in an early rehearsal and told him, Bill. You know what you have to do, don't you, to be in this band? Evans replied, no, Miles, what do I have to do? Miles told him, Bill, now you know we all brothers and shit and everybody is in this thing together. And so what I came up with for you to, for you, is that you got to make it with everybody. You, <laughs> you got to make it with everybody, you know. You got to make it with everybody. You got to fuck the band. <laughs> is that literally what he says? Yeah. Evans went off and thought about this for 15 minutes and then came back. Nervously admitted, I just can't do that. I'd like to please everyone and make everyone happy here, but I just can't do that. Miles smiled at him and exclaimed, My man! Jesus. <laughs> Whereupon Evans understood that his boss was trolling him. <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> the things that I find both very funny and rewarding about this story, and this is, again, the core person talking, and I write about this as a as a queer man, are too. <laughs> So okay, you know, props to this guy. You know, he's... no. The problem that I know with Cora is that there tends to be a problem where the posters will just say shit. Yeah, I mean, there's no way of like, like you could see like profession, professional like kitten petting thing. It's like <laughs> that's not a job. Well, I mean, I don't have a problem with him saying that. You know, I good, know, good he him, is, but... he is. I don't care either. I'm just saying, like. But anyway, he writes, and I agree with his two points here. Miles must have liked Evans enough and trusted him enough to, at some level. That he did not think his piano player would break out, would break out or quit on the on the spot, <laughs> and the fact that Evans was so touchingly concerned that Miles think well of him that he actually went out of his way to, to think, think about, about it, it for fifteen, 15 minutes. minutes. <laughs> We're just sitting there, just like the thinker. Should I fuck <laughs> every guy in the band? God, is it worth it to fuck every one of these people? Well, <laughs> there's fifteen dudes in the band. Can I take at least three? I can break it he down into like, sections of five. He came back like, I don't, He's I, doing I the math in his head. I just can't do it. He's doing the math in his head. He's like, well, if I, if I fuck three dudes at a time, <laughs> so, I know, can make it in sections of five. That means I can do it. And under an hour, you're done. Let's do it. He's <laughs> like, you know what? No, no. The answer is no. Anyway, the, the next uh, the next jazz here we're going to talk about, and we're getting to the, we're getting to the back end here, is uh, avant-garde jazz. Um, and this oh. is where this is where shit gets really weird. Oh, great. Um, Are we talking nuclear war levels of avant-garde or what? Weirder. Oh, um, shit. <laughs> so, bitches brew? Yeah, pretty much. Oh, okay. We're going to talk about bitches brew. Um, uh, I'm so, sure we will. Open ideas. So um, tunes often complete improvisation. So like no structure. Uh, freeform completely. No chord structures or tempo restrictions that sounds terrible and awful so, but also great and new instrumentation sounds you can hear squeaks screams and <laughs> and loud noises uh it's like it's like my autistic mind working overtime that's kind of the I same feel like your autistic your autistic mind is avant-garde <laughs> like i don't know how to take that you better watch yourself no no no. i mean that in like the most like sure you do <laughs> jake jake i respect you I hear you. I hear you, yeah. <laughs> yeah, thanks, President. Um, we're, 
world music and 20th uh, century uh, composers uh, also interest these people. So people like oh, yeah. John Cage and shit. Oh, yeah, John Cage and shit. <laughs> and shit, yeah. Anyway, so... the Pablo Picasso I mean, of fucking... I'll be, honest, be completely honest with you, I fucking hate avant-garde jazz. <laughs> it just seems kind of pretentious, doesn't it? No, it's... At least in after my after we get done recording this, I'm gonna play you a song just so you understand. Okay. And if if you out there, if you want to hear what avant garde jazz sounds like, go listen to an ornate Coleman song. He's probably the best example of someone who really just takes this to the next to the next level. It's unlistenable. I shit it's you not. Unlistenable. No, because the problem no, I is I just love how you for, as a, as a musician, I get how this would be completely freeing and like awesome. But like just as someone who list who listens to this and also loves jazz. If you try to listen to something, you will have no idea where the song is, when it's going to end, what they're trying to do, who's in the band, what the hell the band is. You, you just... It's, it's, who's the director? Who's got the craft services table? There's so many questions, we don't there, know what the is answers Is there are. Coke at the craft services table? Do you mean, like, the drink? Or the- I mean, the soda! Okay. <laughs> anyway. Um, is it diet? Miles, uh, of course, puts out an album during this time, and Jake, you're going to hate this one. It's called Miles Smiles. I'm going to fucking stab someone. <laughs> Comes out in I am homicidally angry. Um, and this is what we were talking about, where it's the, the second great quintet. So this is where he changes the musicians over. And again, it's it's almost kind of it's twofold. Because you know, Miles is trying to get new musicians, but it's also kind of like there's probably not a lot of musicians that want to play with him at this point. A lot for a long period of time, like they, these arrangements don't last long because he's very difficult to work with, sort of thing. Oh, yeah, he's got a high turnover because he fucking is burning yeah. through his are band you, members. Are you done messing with the microphone? Oh, yeah, it's slowly, t- like, trying to fall over on me. So, um, so he gets all the best avant-garde players. Um, he adds them to his band and he makes Miles smiles, obviously. Um, and Miles smiles as you're paying. And as NPR says, you hear the freedom of rhythm. Who is the Boundaries person in NPR, by the broken. way? What's that? Who is the person in NPR that you're getting it from? I'll tell you later. Uh, oh. The link will be on the website. If someone cool. wants to go find the damn link and look at the quotes, I at least can. fucking put the 10% in that can do it. So NPR says, you hear the freedom of rhythm. Boundaries are being broken, and there's arguably no better band to represent what the period was all about than Miles Davis' second great quintet. Anyway. God um, damn it. Yeah. So, um, and then we're going to get into fusion jazz rock in the 1970s. Fusion. This one's a lot easier to understand, I'm not going to lie. Um, so it's sort of a, well, it's a fusion of jazz and rock. So you get all, no. you start to, well, and this is, you get heavy electronic instruments. So drums, yeah. synthesizers, electric guitar, electric, electric bass, guitar, yeah. electric piano, um, use of a lot of straight rock eighth notes, so not less swing notes and stuff like that. Um, more focus on the recording process and more attention on the rhythm section um and often has a repetitive bass line uh and uh, as jake alluded to before miles davis's most most famous album from this time and personally one of my favorite album names of all time bitches brew bitches brew um so this is bitches brew is interesting because it's there's some free jazz elements but it's still listenable because you know they sometimes decide that they want to stick with like a rhythm (laughs) yeah just and then sometimes it's just Toss this shit in the trash. Um, so it's interesting because it's really it's kind of a good example of one of the first truly like free jazz albums because you start with like lots of um, it's one of the f- first fusion albums and you can tell because you hear a lot of free jazz influences, but you start to hear a lot of that stuff I just described with the fusion where the, fusion. the heavy electronic instruments and you, you start to hear a lot of the straight rock eighth notes and stuff like that, which yeah, um. And it's also, yeah, very creative and free-forming. As NPR put it, the freedom, the explanation, the explanation in sounds of the day, 
You can tell that Miles was checking out what was going on on the radio, Jones says. He was checking out Sly and the Family Stone. He was checking out what the young cats were listening to. And so he wanted to be... NPR, try not to be young. Just, <laughs> so, just be you, okay? And so he wanted to, again, to, face, be, to be the face of change. Uh, and he incorporated musicians that were making that change happen in their own music. And like a great leader, he put them in his band. Uh, another album around that time, which I'll be honest with you, I had, this is a good one. I going to take a listen to it, but I haven't listened to it yet. It's called Pangea. came out in 1975. Uh, one, basically, Miles Davis's last uh, influential album that he put out is um, called Tutu from 1987. Uh, and this one's really interesting. Uh, there's a lot of really interesting concepts here. You can still hear a lot of the electronic and a lot of the rock, um, but you also hear a lot of funk elements on this one. Um, I'm going to recommend as a good listener for this one, listen to the title track, Tutu. It's actually, it's a, it's a bop. It slaps. Um, <laughs> is it fire? It's, it's straight fire, bro. I fucking um, hate myself. There's <laughs> lots of synth in this, and that's in, in this album though. Um, it, lots of funk feel, as I said, and actually that album won him a Grammy in, uh, in 1987. But did it win so. him a Tony? No, cause he wasn't on Broadway. Well, maybe he should have tried. Anyway, um, uh, another, Be Ma- better. another core Miles Davis anecdote. This one from Thomas L. Johnson. I have my own personal Miles Davis anecdote. I was flying uh, out of Belgrade after a business meeting, and this is uh, 1980s. Uh, and, Smoking and, coke and <laughs> fucking hookers. And, and, and was sitting in the first class. Trading room, arms with the Russian and was, government. And was sitting in the first class waiting room when Miles Davis and his band came walking in. Miles plopped himself into a seat about five feet from me and proceeded to take out a boxing magazine. For the next 90 minutes, he sat there analyzing fights blow by blow with a colleague. The wait got very long and everyone was, was fidgety, except for, except for Miles. When we finally boarded the plane, we discovered why. The ground crews had been forced to move the first class compartment back one complete row, which was essentially just a flimsy divider. Why? Because Miles needed a seat in first class. Years later, I phoned my travel companion when Miles died. We, we, we retold the story, which I put into a published short story called Marlon Mainly Knows Mormons. <laughs> my travel companion Mar- um, was a Mormon and never heard of Miles Davis until the morning in Belgrade. Thanks for asking. I had almost forgotten about the 1987 memory. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I know. Marlon Mainly Knows Mormons. I kept no, but it, it still just kind of emphasizes his odd ego problem oh, that no, he has. He he's just like, I need a spot in first class. And it's like, I hate people who ride in first class in general because I always ride in coach because fuck you. But um, the fact is, like, you, you made the fucking air crew who made everyone else late because you wanted the divider moved back four rows. Yeah, absolutely. Fucking way to go. <laughs> Um, okay, so the end of Miles' life. Um, how did Miles Davis die? Uh, and again, I took a core anecdote. This one from Randy Nino. Uh, uh, I almost thought you said Randy Newman. <laughs> Randy Newman. Look, look at Randy. Uh, so yeah. Randy Nino. I shouldn't make fun so, of him. I'm sure there's something there that we would get fucking Randy. in trouble for. Um, in 1989, Miles Davis was rumored to be HIV positive, which he denied. He'd been a heroin user for many years, and the infection would have but likely been from dirty needles. Mm. In 1991, at the age of 65, Miles Davis had suffered repeated bouts of pneumonia. While in the hospital, Miles <laughs> suffered a stroke. He died September 28, 1991. The official cause of death was respiratory failure caused by a stroke. According to his biographer, Quincy Troop, Miles was taking medication for HIV at the time of his death. 
that could explain the chronic pneumonia that led to his death. Um, I, either that or the lifetime of heavy cigarette smoking. That or him smoking that chronic left left him to yeah. He was not much. He was not much of a fan of weed, man. Yeah. Uh, all right, That's so, all it takes is one. So some interesting miles quotes. It doesn't, kinda, but <laughs> some interesting miles quotes to kind of wrap it up here. Um, the thing to judge in any jazz artist is: does the man project, and does he have ideas? <laughs> I don't know how to feel about that. Uh, space space music would really be something. <laughs> but, but they, <laughs> what the fuck? Was this the Wesley Willis experience? The but fuck? they don't have no gravity. He's gra- an asshole. Hey, hey, uh, but they don't have no gravity up there. You couldn't have no downbeat. <laughs> I just want to punch something so hard right now. Uh, don't play what's there. Play what's not there. What the fuck? Is this this is like one of those inspirational posters that doesn't make sense? Uh, do not fear mistakes. There are none. <laughs> no, I mean yeah. That was probably from his avant garde era. I'm um, sure there is. Uh, if you understood everything, I'd say you'd be me. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, I'll play it first and tell you what it is later. <laughs> All of this is just emphasizing what I assume his personality would be. And a I legend just... is an old man with a cane known for, for what he used to do. I'm still doing it. And there's three more. Just fucking get them. For me, music and life are all about style. I love this. just the awkward silence for you. I'm just going to give you that and nothing else. I have to change. It's like a curse. And the last one. The thing to judge in any jazz artist is... Oh, yeah, I read that one. Does the man project and does he have ideas? You just said that. <laughs> I said it again. Anyway, um, so the, that's Miles Davis in a nutshell. Um, the thing to kind of realize is, I mean, there's some things that we didn't cover, not because I didn't think they were important, but honestly just because I did not get to them in the research time that I had. Um, but A whole weekend and a half. Just to kind of, just to kind of uh, underscore, though, uh, he definitely did some old sultry things in his personal life. The man is not a role model. Um, but he was an extremely influential musician who had um, a lot of impacts on a lot of people um, out there. So uh, with that being said, he was an interesting man to cover. Um, definitely not perfect. Was also kind of the asshole, as you can see from the quotes that he said there, uh, just in reading those. Um, but I'm well aware that there are definitely many other sultry things that Miles Davis did that uh, do not paint him in an amazing light. So, mm. um, But that's kind of uh, that's Miles Davis. Jake, what do you think for yeah, the first it episode? And- it was good. All right, well, we hope you enjoyed that episode. Um, we're going to be coming back with many more. I'm going to have more jazz cats coming at you. Uh, Jake's going to punch me in the face after I'm this. I'm probably going to, yes. Um, and Jake's going to have some rock and rollers coming at you. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we're going to be doing that this summer, so we hope you enjoyed mm-hmm. this. Um, please let us know. Um, please go rate and review us. Uh, we appreciate that. Please go follow us on Facebook at Hacked History. Go like us on, on Instagram at Hacked History. Hacked underscore history, excuse me. Um, go follow us on Twitter. Uh, and then also, you know, if you have any questions or anything like that, feel free to send us an email. If you have any suggestions at hackedhistory101 at gmail.com. Uh, Jake, anything to take us out here, buddy? No, uh, I haven't got anything. All right. Well, we'll see you later, you jazz cats. <laughs>